Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 107. This episode is with neuromuscular physical therapist David Gray. So it was great to have David on, someone I've followed for quite a while now. And like I said at the start of the episode, someone whose content I really enjoy and take loads from. I think you can learn a lot from following David um, as he puts some great information out there. So he came on. This this episode uh, worked really well and a really good follow-on to the episode with Gary Ward. Um, so we focused on the importance of foot function. We talked about the importance of breathing. And, and breathing well and, and what we can do in our practice to incorporate um, some breathing practice. We spoke about hamstrings, how we approach strengthening the hamstrings, hamstrings for performance. And then we also um, discussed the importance of triple extension. So whether we should focus on triple extension, whether it's relevant, should we spend as much time um, doing exercise that involves triple extension or are there other factors and other things that we should work on so it, it was great to have uh, get David's view and opinion on all these areas like I say someone that I've learned a lot from just from following the content he puts out so go and give him a follow if you're on Instagram I would highly recommend to go and follow him he's at David Gray which is G-R-E-Y and then Rehab um, so go, go and check him out on there Depending when you're listening to this episode, if you're listening the day it goes out, um, we are going to be running our webinar this evening in association with Physique and uh, Colin Lewin. So Colin's coming on to do a webinar with myself and Charlie over at Physique. Now, if you can't attend the webinar live, it will be going onto our online community. Um, so you can go and check that out at footballfitfed.com and click the community tab, and if you're not a member there, you can sign up there. And we've also just added a podcast page to the website as well. So previously, the podcast was available at SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and on YouTube, but you can now access it through the website. So if you go to footballfitfed.com, you'll see there's now a podcast page at the top, and you can go on there, and you can see all previous episodes on there, and that'll get updated every time a new, new podcast goes on. So go and, go and check it out. But again, huge thank you to David for coming on the podcast. It was great to have him on. Um, I do apologise for the sound on this one. I'm going through a few technical different <laughs> difficulties at the moment with um, apparently peppermint tea and laptops don't mix too well. So I'm just currently trying to sort that. So um, I apologise if the sound isn't up to its normal quality, but it will be back on as normal next week. But enjoy episode 107 with David Gray. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 107. Now, there's not many people out there whose Instagram or social media that I can watch basically like a Netflix series. I can sit there and take it in all day. <laughs> there's plenty of quality information. And that certainly relates to this week's guest. So, David Gray, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much, Ben, for having me and the kind intro. Um, I... I try my best on Instagram, but um, it's, it's rough and ready. It's just what I'm thinking about on that day or that week or whatever. So I just pop it up. It doesn't, it usually doesn't look too pretty, but I think it's uh, hopefully, hopefully there's decent stuff there for people to, to check out. No, I honestly, I honestly believe it is um, watching, watching your stuff you put out there. I know, um, like you say, you are just putting stuff out. There's so much you can learn from the stuff you, you post. So um, yeah, thank you for all the content. And I haven't mentioned, your role is neuromuscular physical therapist. 
Um, so what we'll do to start with, mate, let's just dive into your, because you had a brief little catch-up there about your background, but um, I probably don't know a lot of the, the work you've done and the people you've worked with. So do you want to just dive into that to start with? Yeah, I'll, I'll try and make it kind of as brief as I can. I guess this is the hard part of the podcast, but um, it's it, even even like talking about a title or a role is, is tricky because I work with such a kind of diverse group of people, I guess, and doing different things. So mostly I'm working, well, actually all, entirely at the moment it's all it's all movement based stuff so there's no real I I don't really get I don't really get into the assessment of acute injuries or anything or post-op necessarily like a few weeks post-op or anything like that that's not my thing it's more working with people who have maybe had chronic pain or athletes who consistently get re-injured and they've tried the kind of generic strength stuff I, I keep hurting my hamstring and the, all the stats tell me that my hamstring is as strong as or stronger than everyone else on the team so why do I keep hurting it so it's kind of it's kind of that side of things that that um, that I work with especially when it comes to athletes so um, it's just been kind of a probably a 10-year journey to get where I am now where I'm just working for myself privately and um, lucky enough to work with like very very good athletes around the world different in different sports and um, non-athletes as well, just just semi-professional, professional Olympians, and um, just generic people who are looking for help or maybe just want to play with their kids or whatever on, on the weekend and that. So it's, um, yeah, most of my work obviously with COVID at the moment is online, but I was one of the lucky ones who was doing online work before this. Um, so heavily, probably 70, 60, 70% for the last few years at least has been online for me. And it's, it's usually athletes coming to me privately who are who are maybe a bit frustrated with with where they are at the moment and they're looking for looking for help or looking for a new set of eyes to to look over things. Um, so yeah, movement based, a lot of a lot of strength stuff, and then a heavy focus kind of on biomechanics, movement, looking at how the joints move. I think you've had Gary Ward on the podcast as well, and I'm definitely heavily in, influenced by Gary, um, and I think. I think uh, like Gary is absolutely incredible, and uh, I think I take a slightly different view on it. In that, we can we can look at the joints and how they move and all that stuff, and then we can layer on a lot of a lot of good quality strength work on, work on top of that stuff. And I think the, hopefully my 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 aim is always just to kind of blend the best of everything and just give the person what they're missing. So whatever they're missing at that time. So. I think, unfortunately, in the rehab world and the strength world, there's a lot of like, okay, I, this is this is what everyone does. Everyone goes and does a back squat. Everyone goes and does X, Y, Z just because. But I, I, I try my best to look and say, here's what this person is missing. And that missing might be like, that missing might be actually, it's, it's kind of their beliefs about their body at the moment. It's what they're thinking about their injury or their pain or it's, it, it is strength or maybe it's more biomechanics or maybe it's more their recovery or how they're breathing or whatever. So I just try and blend all of those things together. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. And it's just been probably a long time of learning from some of the smartest minds in the world and trying to pull it all together as best I can. And, and I'm still trying to do that, but, um, I'm, I'm hopefully getting somewhere, but then I guess every six months you look back and say, Jesus, what I was doing there, I, I, I could do a lot better now, you know, so hopefully I'll keep saying that for a long time to come. 
Yeah, well, again, that's that's part of a, a good practitioner that can reflect on their practice, isn't it, and constantly take steps forward. Um, it's interesting you mentioned about the online training, David, because that's the one thing I was going to ask. I wasn't sure whether COVID um, sort of pushed you to do more online work or whether you were doing that already. So how do you find that working with, with um, clients online? You know what? It's It's been a really nice experience. Um, now, it is nice to have a blend. It's nice to have a blend. Like, And I think people will start to find that now themselves, that the people who are just doing all in person, obviously now they're forced to maybe go a little bit more online or have been at least. And then for me, it's maybe I need to I need to be careful and, and watch out because I'm, I'm more than busy enough to do just online stuff. But what happens if some of the online stuff crashed and then and then you have none of the in-person stuff? So I think it is nice to have your eggs in a couple of different baskets. But um, yeah, it just kind of started organically where I was I was working with people uh, locally and had a couple of people like traveling to, to come and see me and stuff like that and just putting up stuff on mostly on Instagram and, and word kind of spread um, and people contact me asking do you do online and I said yeah I do do online <laughs> um, and uh, honestly it's made me a significantly better kind of coach or practitioner because I I sit on my chair. I, I, I know other people do their, do their online work and they have a big room or a gym and they're showing people stuff. I sit on my chair and I u- try and use my words as best I can to, to try and communicate what I want them to, to do and how I want them to do it. And um, that's made my queuing one million times better um, and my communication and also how I connect with people and, and making sure that they, they're very clear about kind of where we are at the moment, what we're going to do and where we're trying to get to. So communication has, has, has been a huge thing that I've gotten from the online space. And also then obviously from business-wise, it opens you up to a world of people. So there's, there's people in American sports, people in Australian sports, there's people like the Olympians from South Africa, Australia, all over the world that, that I've had a chance to work with that I wouldn't have had a chance before that. And it's been it's been great because you can sometimes I think sometimes people are afraid to maybe put themselves out there on on social media or something like that um but the rewards are there if you do it and if you're doing good work then why not you know yeah definitely no I think I think it's um a fascinating thing to you we talk about the queuing so I think anyone that has worked with athletes or clients online it definitely is the case isn't it like you yeah. say unless you're going to be actually standing in a proper setup a lot of us have been in kitchens or offices or whatever <laughs> trying to coach through through zoom so it there's definitely positives to it as well isn't there yeah exactly exactly it, it teaches you so much and you, you actually don't need to what you'll see in the gym is that like you show someone to how to do a, an rdl let's say and they're trying to copy you and and how they are copying you is kind of it's, it's based on the setup and the organization of your body and your bones. And they're trying to copy that. Whereas if we just, if we just ask them how to do it or, or to, do, to do it, give them a couple of little cues, you'll start to see what happens in their body and what their nervous system and how, how it wants to organize things. And you can start to tailor your cues from there. So I think even, even maybe hopefully as we transition more back to in person you can you can use your words and be creative with your cues and you'll 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 hopefully see that you can get much better results 
than always kind of putting your hands and putting their knee in this position and, and, and all stuff like that, you know? So I guess it's another, another tool in the toolbox, but the cueing is really important. And it's, it's like, you have to, you have to learn, you, you learn that biomechanics and, and talking about a hip and this and that doesn't actually matter to the athlete that you're working with. It doesn't make sense to them. And it actually doesn't even make sense to, so I do a lot of consultations with strength and conditioning coaches who are, who are, in, or need a little bit of help themselves and, and some unbelievable strength and conditioning coaches working at the very top level. And even if I say to them, oh, externally rotate your hip and, and flex your shoulder, that means nothing to them while they're in the moment. Mm. So it's more about, okay, can you, I want you to flex your, I want you to flex your spine. I'll just say, imagine I'm going to poke you in the chest. So like little, little things like that, that will, that will, that cue will get through to everyone rather than rather than flex your spine you know so those are just little things i've picked up along the way and um i know nick winkleman has wrote a pretty good book um on 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 communication and stuff and brett bartholomew as well so i think that's that's kind of that's kind of the next great frontier probably of of coaching is is learning us learning how to use our language a lot better and clearer yeah i I think it's really interesting the fact that you mentioned before about people um I don't know how you phrase it, but like moving in different ways. So I think, in, especially in terms of football, you see this a lot, don't you? I think coaches have in mind like the the most effective way of moving, whether that be running, whether that be uh, changing direction. But I know you touched on it a little bit there, and we didn't discuss this before, and I'm sort of dropping this on you. But what's your views on that? Because we've all worked with players, probably that. When you look at them, you see them move. You think, ah, oh, yeah, they're, they're not moving so well. But then they're effective on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also the opposite of that, isn't there? That people could be like the ideal textbook movers, textbook movers, mm-hmm. um, but then the, their speed isn't that great, or they just don't move as well. So, what's your opinion on that, David? I think that'll be interesting to touch on. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky conversation, isn't it? It's a tricky one because there's no right or wrong, and hopefully people start to realise that. Because there's these coaches on on Instagram and stuff who will shout that there's one way, and that's just clearly not the case. There's just not one way, and that's that's there there that shouldn't be even a conversation that people are having anymore. I do think it's okay to have a technical model where yes, I this is what in my mind this is what good looks like, uh, but then we have to realise that there's a spectrum along that, and there's someone's unique nervous system and unique body with an injury history and there's self-organization going to happen so we we appreciate that they're getting the task done in a certain way and as long as that is hopefully not going to lead to injuries down the line then I don't see a problem with it not necessarily fitting perfectly into my technical model the the issue is if we don't have a technical model that we think this is what good looks like, then we're just throwing shit at the wall and hoping that something sticks because we're not moving people toward something that, that, that would hopefully be efficient and effective. So I think I, I'd probably sit on the fence in that conversation where I can see both sides. I think that there's people that don't understand that self-organization is a thing though um and and everyone has to fit into this nice neat little box and that's uh that's a bigger problem in the in the 
in the gym world than is in the sports world, I think. So we'll see it in the gym where, okay, everyone has to squat this certain way and everyone has to, to do their deadlift this way. And I do have a big problem with that because I think the technical model that we're, we're coaching people there is wrong, actually. I don't think it's, I don't think it's correct. I think that we're, we're coaching people to always, almost always be in a an big anterior tilt at the pelvis and almost always have a big flare at the ribs and a chest that's up and an extension through, a hyperextension through the lumbar spine and, and an extension through the thoracic spine. And people will say, that's a neutral spine as I deadlift. But in fact, it's not anything close to a neutral spine. A neutral spine would have a rounded kyphotic thoracic spine. So we'll see that. And, and if you just look at people who spend a significant amount of time in the gym, strength and conditioning coaches being one, they're the people who fit the te technical model perfect. So their squat looks amazing. Their deadlift looks amazing. Their bench press, every single thing they do, it looks amazing as regards to I'm ticking the boxes of that technical model. But how come they can go and squat double body weight, deadlift, treble body weight, and then they stand in clinic with me and they cannot rotate their body to the left? So is the technical model wrong then? Because in my opinion, if we're doing strength training, it should be helping us get stronger and move better at the same time, not get stronger. And actually, I can't rotate my hip even an inch anymore you know a couple of degrees anymore so that's where we we should have a technical model but we need to be careful where we're moving people towards because you you better be sure your technical model is accurate because if it's not you're taking people's movement options away and you're ma you're you're making people more likely to get injured i think yeah that's awesome and if it related to a, a specific area david and, and sort of following on from um, the discussion I have with Gary, if we, if we go down to the foot now, because this is a really um, interesting area for me, because it's one that, especially with footballers, but then you could pick out a lot of different sports. Like we spend so much time in, in boots and probably trainers that, especially now, trainers that aren't the, the best designed for our feet. Um, so can you just, if we just discuss the importance of having a, a, a well function, a good functioning foot, and then how that can relate to, to other areas. Because we might have some players listening to this as well. They might not realize that actually the feet could be causing some issues elsewhere. Yeah. So, so Gary obviously is the god of the feet. Um, the, the, if, you, if you ever get a chance to like be in a room with Gary and just sit down and listen to him talking about the feet and explaining uh, uh, and showing how, how the foot moves, how it should move, then... It's hard to ignore that. It's hard not to see that going forward because what you start to see is kind of feet that are just not moving well and they're a little bit, they're a little bit messed up. And so if there's 33 joints in each foot, then that's a lot of joints. And where there's joints, there's, there's loading. There needs to be loading. Um, there needs to be movement and hopefully good movement. And for example, for a... For a, a soccer player who has an Achilles problem, let's say, um, or a calf problem, or a knee problem, even or even a hip problem or a lower back problem, it's it's very interesting to me. And one of the first big things I look at is what's happening when their foot hits the floor, because 
if their foot is hitting the floor and it's not doing a good job and it's not dispersing force before it comes up into something like an Achilles or a knee, then, so basically if my foot hits the floor and there's vibration going to come up into my body. I think Gary said something like before, for instance, if, if all these stops along the way between my foot and my head didn't do a good job at, at dispersing the force, then I'm going to probably get a headache because that vibration is going to come all the way up into my head. And that, and that is the case, you know, there's, there's vibration coming into my body every time my foot hits the floor. So if we take it away from the headache and bring it to the knee, if there's vibration and load and force coming up into my knee, into my knee joint or my hip joint when my foot hits the floor and my foot doesn't do a good job at dispersing some of that force, then it's going to skip that area and go straight to the next stop, which is an Achilles or a knee or something like that. So everyone is talking about calf strength and hamstring strength and glute strength and quad strength and and so they should be that stuff is really important and they also talk about hip range of motion but if you're going to if you're going to be in the camp where range of motion is important then it's not, you can't pick and choose joints you have to say if, if range of motion at the hip is important and i'm not talking about being able to do the splits here it's just having enough range of motion that you need to, to play your soccer, play, I know you'll say football, I'll say soccer, because um, uh, we have Gaelic football in Ireland. Um, so if, 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 I, if I'm going to make an importance out of hip range of motion, then if there's 33 joints in the foot, that's a lot of range of motion. Now, the, each joint has a small range of motion, but each joint needs to be able to move and load to disperse that force. And what we'll see, especially with a lot of football players, is that they'll, they'll hurt their ankles a lot. And, and from a brain's point of view, when I hurt my ankle, it's obviously a dangerous thing. If we go back to like, evolution of us being in nature, if I twist my ankle, then there's a chance I'm going to be not, being able to, not be able to hunt that evening for dinner or as be hunted myself and not be able to get away from that. So a good choice for my brain is to say, I'm going to lock up this, this area I'm not going to let really any movement. I'm going to stiffen it up. So we'll see foot and ankles getting very, very stiff and immobile. Suddenly someone has knee pain. And, and then the, the, they'll go to the physio and the physio will say, your VMO is weak. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why is it? Why did it decide to get weak? At what stage did my brain say, I'm just going to not strengthen my VMO anymore? or not use it, or not activate my glute, that, those things don't make sense to me. Stories should make sense. Injuries should make sense. Um, pain should make sense. Now, pain is, is obviously tricky. That could be just that I slept, I didn't sleep well last night, or someone said something to me. But hopefully stories should start to make sense to us. And when we tell the story of how the foot moves and all those joints, then that story hopefully makes sense to people as to why the foot should be moving well. It's the only thing making contact with the floor. It's the thing you're going to kick the ball with. It's, it's, it's the thing that's most overlooked by far in, in injuries and issues and in, and in performance as well. Performance, you see the best sprinters, they have feet that move really well and are really strong. So there's, there's a lot of reasons, but um, it, it's definitely overlooked. Yeah, and it's an area that players will talk about a lot, isn't it? And coaches are saying that they'll have stiff ankles or they'll get some sort of pain on the bottom of the feet and it might lead to them like doing a bit of rolling with a tennis ball or a golf ball or something like that. But it doesn't always fix the issue, does it? So 
what do you think are some key considerations that we need to make? What should we be able to do with our feet and the movements we should be able to do? And what do we need to be wary of? So they can only do two things, the feet. They can, they can pronate and supinate. And that's, that's kind of a global movement and kind of a little bit hard to, to speak about on a, on a podcast because it's easier to see it. Um, but that global movement of pronation, which would be more of a flattening of the foot, and supination, which will be more of an arching of the foot. Um, that's the combination of the movement of 33 joints that make those global shapes then. So really you only have two things to do and that's pronate the foot and supinate the foot. Make sure I can do both and make sure that neither is going too far to, to, towards either end. And so unfortunately what we see in the gym is because it, because traditional strength and conditioning comes from a powerlifting background and powerlifting they want to be as stiff as possible they want to be able to go up and down about a couple of feet and have as little movement as possible in anywhere in their body and stay as tight as possible and um, that's that's really important and really good if I want to lift a house on my back but it's not very good if I want to get strong but make sure that my joints still move well when I have to actually change direction so unfortunately that powerlifting background has led to us thinking that every single lift in the gym needs to be knees out grip the floor spread the feet um, tense up the ankles all that stuff and that's very very heavily biased towards the supination end of things side of things um, and the pronation side of things is completely missed. And people will demonize pronation because when they hear pronation, that word is a bad word because now it's associated with over pronation. And oh, my knees are, are, are collapsing in and, and collapse is probably the word that people use. If you collapse in or you collapse out, it's a bad thing. And people don't understand that collapsing out would be maybe as bad as collapsing in so we're not using the word collapse it needs to be a good controlled movement of the foot and the knee that's what we're trying to train so you can't you can't say pronation is bad because that's a collapse and supination is good because it's controlled well we can actually train pronation to be controlled and and a quality movement and that should happen every single time my foot hits the floor so you can get very detailed on it and say, right, these are the little small things that we need to be able to do. And this is, that's what I'll do with individuals. But on a more global level, I would say, don't always bias your knee going out or your knee, your knee not being able to come towards the big toe when you're, when you're in the gym and doing all your lifts. Because every single footstep you take outside the gym, hopefully the knee will move towards the big toe. Yeah, that's a really interesting area, isn't it? Because the amount of people that think that um, when that middle part of the foot or that arch is, like you say, collapsing, that that's a real indication of, of poor movement. But how many times would we do that in a game? Like when we're, when we're moving about, like we're, you'd hope so anyway, wouldn't you? That that, that movement's going to occur. So like you say, we, we should be wearing, should be able to train it. Yeah, exactly. Every time I check, if I if I go to if I go to load into my right leg and push off to the left or sidestep or something like that, as I push off there, that foot should pronate and I should or not as I not as like as I load in that foot should pronate. That's kind of me loading into the foot and getting ready then to spring me back off. 
So the a lot of the a lot of the like the ladder drills that you see people doing, there's this tippy tappy stuff, but there's they're never loading into the foot. It's just this tappy, tippy, tappy stuff, and there's never a displacement of my of my mass in either direction. So if you're talking about displacing your mass, then there needs to be supination, pronation, and supination, because that would be load and explode. The load part is the pronation part. That's the part that people are missing, and that's the, that's from a performance point of view and from an injury prevention. Which I know we can't prevent injuries, but we can try our best. Um, I need to be strong in these positions and I need to be able to go to these positions because if 33 joints in the foot can't go there because I've trained it out of my body or because I've gotten injured, then maybe my knee has to go there a little, little bit too much. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far with David. I just wanted to give you a quick heads up on some updates on the online community. So I said at the start of the podcast that the webinar that we are running in association with Physique and Colin Lewin, that will be available on our community to add to the other webinars that are already on there and the recent one we did with Physique and Nick Grantham as well. So Cohen's webinar is on the makeup of an effective sports science and medical team. So we're going to be discussing um, who fits into what roles. We're going to be discussing um, working with external practitioners and um, loads of other topics on there as well as a, a decent length Q&A as well so we haven't recorded it yet it is this evening as I record it um, but I'm really excited and looking forward to recording the webinar with Colin so if you haven't checked it out live go to footballfitfed.com click the community tab and sign up there that will give you one month free on our online community so you can go and check out all the content um, after that it is only £4.99 per month and you will uh, get access to all future webinars, presentations um, and our WhatsApp group as well. Um, yeah, so there's loads of information on there to go and check it out. So footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and get your free month on the community. Here's part two of the podcast with David Gray. So the, the next bit I think it'd be good to move on to is, and I, this is something I've actually heard you speak about before, I think it was on the Just Fly podcast is yeah. um, your views on triple extension. Because mm-hmm. it's something that S&C coaches in football will work on a lot with players because we mm-hmm. see is it being important in acceleration. Mm-hmm. But um, I heard you talk about it on that podcast, saying that it's something that we do do, obviously, when we, we accelerate. But when we move, there's not always that triple extension involved. So I think that's a really, really interesting discussion. So can you just elaborate on that and, and possibly discuss how we could incorporate... I, I, I maybe focus our um, attention elsewhere or how much do you think we should be incorporating it into the program? Yeah, that is a tough question because that's a big topic, a uh, really, really big topic and uh, something I spend a lot of my time kind of working on with with um, with clients and speaking, kind of coaching other, other therapists, our, our coaches, crew and stuff like that. Um, the, and and, and uh, a couple of my or Dave O'Sullivan, one of my mentors, he's a he's a physio in England. Um, he speaks speaks a little bit on this around kind of delaying that knee extension. We don't want that to happen too soon. Franz Bosch talks about it um, in the timing of the joint, delaying that knee extension um, so that the the hip can do its job first, and then the knee can maybe extend or not extend if it doesn't need to at certain points. So. 
if you even if you even watch a lot of sprinters and this is not this is not field sports athletes now but if you watch a lot of sprinters then yeah maybe coming out of the blocks they'll get that triple extension happening but as they start to get upright we might not see so much of that anymore um some people will will have that incomplete extension of the of the knee joint and certainly when we go into uh field sports athletes I don't, un, unless someone is getting upright and sprinting 30, 40 meters for a ball, which very rarely happens where I completely like open everything up and just go. And even then I would argue, if you showed me a lot of videos of the fastest players sprinting, I think I'd probably see incomplete extension at the knee joint in, the, in those positions. So if you think about a field sport athlete, soccer player uh, moving about the pitch, they're usually staying low. They're usually, if I, if I fully extend my knee, then I've lost all push from that side and I'm going to be kind of hanging in the air almost. So there's a delay before my other foot is going to hit the floor. That delay is not going to help me in, in changing direction or, or throwing a shimmy or, or whatever I need to do. So I, I, it's, it's probably easier to talk about it from a, a rehab side of things. But what you'll see in the gym again is people bias triple extension. They'll say extend everything aggressively. Like if you're doing your Olympic lift, if you're, if you're even doing a squat, they'll say like stand up, snap the knees back as fast as you can. And that is a very much a quad and a lower back strategy to do that then. Because as soon as my knees extend, most people don't have clean hip extension instead of getting hip extension they'll usually get lower back extension so their lower back is working and their quad is working so what we actually would like to see is let's say my foot hits the floor i get a i get a good midfoot contact and that will drive activity into the calf and the distal hamstrings so the lower hamstrings and the quads and they will co-contract together around the knee to keep my knee in in an isometric that isometric, there's no movement at the knee now, that gives my glute max and my proximal, my upper hamstrings, a, a chance to push me forward. So now my hip is doing work while my knee stays in place. If I don't get that co-contraction and that isometric moment around the knee, then that knee is going to extend too soon. And now I don't get that push from that glute max to push me forward because I've, I've, my quad has kind of pulled my leg back rather than the glute pushing my hip forward. So that's the performance side of it, but performance and rehab are the same thing in my mind because good movement is good movement. So what I'll see with so many knee issues is an inability to keep a co-contraction and an isometric around the knee. So now my, my, the energy is being spent at my knee joint. I don't have that stability there. And so I can go and train my glute max and do all my glute stuff in the gym I want. If I can't get that timing and that co-contraction, that isometric around the knee, the glute doesn't get a chance to work because the knee, the quad has extended me too soon. Does that, does that, does that make sense? Again, it's one, it's one of those ones that, that it's hard to see, but like I have videos of Usain Bolt, for instance, on my Instagram, and you can see that that glute is pushing him forward and that extension at the knee joint does not happen. It doesn't, it happens almost when his toe is coming off the floor at the back. Yeah. And, and, and that's because if, I, if he extends his knee too soon, he's lost all his push. 
And so all the stuff in the gym, again, we'll, we'll see extension at the knee, every squat, like snap the knees back. I'm never, I'm, I'm finishing back on my heels. I'm never getting that push from the glute max. Um, and, and I'm getting a very, I'm get, for a lot of people, at least in my world, they're getting a very aggravated knee as a result of that. Yeah. So you'll see, you'll see in, in obviously in my program that, you, that you've gotten, but there's so much work around keeping an isometric at the knee. There's no movement at the knee while the hip does work and the foot does work. That's, that's what I think we want for rehab and performance. And then it's not like we're, not, we're saying to people not to, to extend the knee. That will happen after the hip has come through. Most people, I think, are training it to happen before the hip is extended. They're trying to tr extend the knee first, and that throws off the timing of, of everything. All that free elastic energy that needs to be transferred from hip down to the foot is thrown off because the knee joint goes too soon. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just give a shout out to one of the previous guests, Paul Colbeck, on the podcast because he's done loads of work on um, looking into the sort of movements that players do on the pitch. And if, if anyone's seen his work, you'll see that, the, like you said, there's not many occasions that we do do that, that straight line sprint. It, it might happen very rarely, but even when it does, you've got other things going on. Um, so I think this, this is really fascinating. And also, you just mentioned there about the programme. So I'm currently doing your, your lower body basics program, um, which is not basic at all. At all. <laughs> but you, if anyone has seen the program or had an insight into the program, you, with everything that you've touched on there, you, it, it makes even more sense to me now why you do the exercise you do in that program, because it is just syncing things together, getting things working in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And most people think like this is like 2000 people have done the program now including some of the best athletes in the world and some top-level sprinters. And they think they have really good, strong hamstrings until they do the program, and they realize they don't because the hamstring is heavily... Now, there's a big debate around this, but it's, the distal hamstring is heavily isometric in movement. It's, even if there is an eccentric component there, a lengthening, which obviously there is at times, I think it's still trying to resist the lengthening. It's still trying to delay the knee extending. So people will say... People will train the distal hamstring to flex the knee. So think about a, a hamstring curl just lying down on your face down and doing a hamstring curl. The distal hamstring will flex the knee there. And yeah, it will. And it's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against that in any way, shape or form. I think that everything has its place. And, and if I have weaker dis, weak distal hamstrings, I can go and do hamstring curls and that might help me. So I'm certainly not saying that everything has to be quote unquote functional training. But... When we train the, ham, the distal hamstring to work in an isometric, people, number one, they, they, their hamstring freaks out. They're just not strong in any way. And number two, when they go and walk and run, they start to feel this, like, this bounce that they haven't felt before or haven't felt in a long time. And that's the, that's the, the brain learning that it can, it can keep an isometric at the knee there. It can, it can stop the quad taking over. And that allows energy transfer. And that, that's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one because it's hard to measure that. Like, how do we measure that? It's very, very tricky. But when you feel it, you feel it. And it, it, like, a lot of people have felt it. So that, that those isometrics at the distal hamstrings, and then there's the coordination aspect. So we can, we can, uh, we can train our hamstring to be very strong. We can train our calf to be very strong. 
but the beautiful thing is the intermuscular and intramuscular coordination that happens between these muscles. So when they start to sync up with the foot again, then all like, this is why pain, this is why people come to me basically because their pain can go away very, very quickly when we start to realize that these are coordination issues a lot of the time, not strength issues. So yes, I had an injury along the way. Yes, maybe I, I lost a little bit of strength. I regained that strength in terms of isokinetic testing or whatever testing you want to do. But for some reason, that, that path of coordination has been altered and I never quite got that back. So when I get that back, or, or just to take a step back, the, the brain has a couple of options to keep my joints safe. One is pain. So it can send kind of pain signals to the area so that that slows me down and um, make sure that I'm not doing something stupid. And I'll make sure that I'm more cautious with my movement. And I probably won't express as much power when I have a painful knee joint. The other option is to be strong and to be able to create stability around the joint. And how I create stability in, in the world is actually co-contractions. My foot hits the floor and it's not like, I have an antagonist and an agonist muscle. I have, I have these muscles that all time together to fire. And this is not a, a conscious thing. These are reflexes that need to happen. And this is based on timing. When I get injured, the timing alters. The strength can come back, but that timing and that kind of that reflex is not as sharp as maybe it was. And we're talking milliseconds here, but milliseconds is, that's what sport is. That's what life is. And so when we retrain this timing, suddenly my brain doesn't really need to say anymore, okay, you don't have an ability to co-contract and stabilize this joint, uh, so I'm going to put pain there. Suddenly the brain doesn't need to say that anymore. And knee pain is going away in days or weeks when people have spent two years, three years strengthening their VMO, their hamstring, their calf, but doing it in ways that it's not in any way going to really transfer to when I actually walk and when I run. So we have to understand that the brain involved with these things and timing and coordination is much more important than it's given credit for. Yeah, I think that's so key. And I think people will relate to that. Coaches, players will relate to that, that sentence that you just said, that we can, we can work so hard in the gym and building this strength. And we think, oh, that's going to be my foundation. That's going to allow me to move better on the pitch, which, which it could. But then, like you say, that transfer to how we move is so, so important. I think you've touched about there, isn't it? And that could be the difference for a lot of people. Yeah, and that's why you see the guy who's absolutely terrible in the gym. He can't do any of the things really that you're, that you're asking him to do that fits the technical model that I was speaking about earlier. That's because the technical model, one, is wrong, and two, he doesn't need it because he goes out in the field and his coordination is incredible. Everything just looks fluid and the timing is there. So yeah, my, his, his one individual muscle is not as strong, but he's incredible at using this elastic energy transferring around the body and everything is doing its job. Everything is being efficient rather than me trying to muscle through movements. Mm -hmm. So I guess the gold standard then is taking that guy, making him that little bit stronger maybe in the gym, but making sure I'm not losing that at the same time. You know? So that's, yeah. I, and I suppose that's the guy, that's the guy then that, goes on to be world-class then. So he puts in that work, but he, he, he doesn't have a stupid coach that is forcing something down his throat at the same time. And then he obviously, the thing that really makes him world-class is his, obviously his skill and his, his technical yeah. ability. But, um, 
but that's that's the guy that then just goes up that extra level, you know. It's finding that player where they're at, isn't it? Because it's very much a scale that you've got someone that will move very, very well on the pitch that could be not so great in the gym, someone that's amazing in the gym that doesn't move on the pitch. So it's, I suppose it's finding where they're at on that scale, isn't it? And then putting the um, appropriate um, methods in place. Yeah, exactly. And but 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 that's why I have that basics program, and that's why I call it basic. It's not. It's it's uh it's definitely not easy. I never said it was easy, but <laughs> it's um they those are all the things in that program are pretty much the things that I want every single person in the world to be able to do. So if you can if you can be able to do all of those things, then you can progress on, and we can get a little bit more individual. But like. I get people who come to me and, and they have a knee problem, an Achilles problem, and or whatever the hell it is, constant hamstring injuries, and and oh my Nordic curls like on the uh, on the Nord board, my Nordics are stronger than everyone else in the team. Why do I keep injuring my hamstrings? Mm. And then I say try this hamstring drill and that one, and they can't hold it for ten seconds when the minimum target is forty five seconds. Yeah. So I say yeah, you you've, you've, your hamstrings are strong in that way, but not they're not able to coordinate the movement with the calf and the, and the foot. And that might sound like, it sounds a bit esoteric when I speak about that, but then when you do the exercise, you know within five seconds, yeah, he's not talking crap here. He's actually, it's, it's true, like, you know. No, I, and I back that up 100%. I'm, I'm in that boat. I'm no means the strongest in the gym whatsoever, but I, I, I think I've got a reasonable strength, but... Tackling some of these exercises going through the, the first few weeks on it, David, it definitely, I know a lot of people in the group have said how humbling the program is, and that, that <laughs> does exactly that. Like, you do some of them, you look at it, and you think, that's going to be easy. You try it, and you do it well, and, and yeah, it's, it's definitely not an easy program to do, but you feel the benefits at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, that's why, like, for, for now, for, for the most part, before people come, like it's a cheap enough program, I think, but before people come and see me, I'll just say, look, just start the program, just, just work on that, and then in three or four weeks' time, you can come. And then half the time, it's like, oh, 80% of my knee pain is just is gone already. And then I'm like, okay, now we can get specific and, and clean up the other stuff. Yeah. You know, but, but we're getting specific before people have any idea of how to do these basic movements, which is, um, coordination at the at the calf and the hamstring and the quad, them tissues working together in positions that look like gait, uh, a foot that can be strong and move well, and a hip and a pelvis that can move in three planes of motion. Mm-hmm. And and like when we come to the lower body, it's hard to look past any of that stuff. I can talk about VMO or something like that, but like if I can't get my knee joint in the right place, then how is my VMO ever going to actually get a chance to, to do its job? It's, it's probably not, you know, so, so the quad can come afterwards, the, the, the glute max can come afterwards, but from the foot up, everything has to do a good job, and the pelvis and the hips have to be able to move well, and those really are the basics. The basics is not, a, can you do a back squat? That's a movement that we invented, you know, so yeah. that's, that's how I look at it. That's why I call it the base, the, the lower body basics because that's those are the movements i need everyone to be able to do yeah no definitely and a huge part of the program is breathing um and i think it's one thing that we a lot of coaches and players have probably heard the importance of breathing and breathing well but have no idea how to incorporate that and and that again is a huge part of the program that you obviously talk 
through with it. So can you just touch on the importance of briefing, but then how we could um, incorporate that into some of our programming as well? Yeah. Yeah, and it's again, it's a big, it's a big topic because you could go, you could kind of go about that in a good few different ways of talking about it. But I guess in language that probably makes the most sense um, is that I think there's 136 joints in the thorax. So if we're if we're people who promote movement variability, then the biggest thing that's going to influence all of those joints is the 22,000 breaths a day that I take, and the biggest thing, one of the biggest things, if I'm if I'm being completely honest here, one of the biggest things that will negatively impact the movements of those joints is people in the gym saying that every lift needs to be done with chest up, because now I'm driving the thoracic spine into extension, which is not it's, and I, I'm not a neutral guy. I'm not saying that neutral should be our place. Neutral is not the place where movement happens, but we should kind of be starting somewhere there so that I can move away from neutral, but. Um, yeah, so what's happening with that chest up cue is that the whole rib cage is getting elevated and now my kind of my diaphragm, my pelvic floor are not stacked in any way over each other. So people are there's there's research coming out now from some very, very um, well respected guys in the world of strength and conditioning, which shows that the pelvic position and control is super important. So if we just want to talk about hamstring injuries, pelvic position and control, that's one of the big things that's coming out now. So isometric strength, eccentric strength, and pelvic control. They're the days at the moment, and obviously, and obviously load management, they seem to be the four big things. So if we're looking at pelvis control, and the big thing then usually to avoid for people is an excessive anterior tilt or an inability to control going into an anterior tilt all of the time. It's not that anterior tilt is bad. But as soon as I lift my ribs up, and people can try this sitting at home, if I let my chest lift up, my pelvis goes into an anterior tilt straight away. So that's, that's just that's the communication between the joints. No one can argue with that. Uh, that's just what happens for every single person in the world, at least what should happen. So I lift my chest up, my pelvis goes into an anterior tilt, my hamstrings get longer proximally, and now they're not in a more they're not in, a, in, in an optimal length tension relationship, whatever optimal is. So, and also the abdominals have also probably lengthened as well when the pelvis goes forward and the ribs come up. So the, the cueing in the gym is a big, big issue for me because I lose a lot of movement in those 136 joints. And again, when we look at field sports, one of the things that makes the best players, the best players is their ability to rotate and we'll see that people, well, I'll see at least that people lose that ability to rotate because rib cages cannot move. And that it's, it's not, people will train thoracic spine movement in the gym, but what drives movement into the, into the thoracic spine is rib cage movement. So the ribs need to be able to internally rotate and externally rotate. And, and then they need to be able to do that left versus right. So as my left kind of ribs will internally rotate, my right ribs will externally rotate. That is human movement as I pump side to side. Just like as my left hip will internally rotate, my right hip should be externally rotating. They're moving in opposites to each other. So the breathing then, so the first thing we do in the program every day is making sure that we're, we're learning to exhale and get all the air out because that will help the rib cage come back down and internally rotate a little bit. And if you imagine that 
someone has a glass of water, for instance, and their, their glass is already three quarters full of water, then what if you want to put in nice fresh water, you're probably going to pour that, all that water out, that stale older water out, so it can put fresh water in. So that would be, that would be the, the air in your body. So we're going to blow out all the air first. That will hopefully get the rib cage to move down and in and feel a bit of compression. And then as we inhale, I'm going to let that expansion happen. So now if I, if I do that well, and well is the hard part, I'm hopefully going to get expansion in new areas around the spine, around the back of the ribs, around the side of the ribs. And again, this might sound a little bit kind of woo-woo when we're talking about it, but based on the shape of your rib cage and how your rib cage can move, I can pretty, pretty uh, accurately predict the, the range of motion that you're going to have available at your hips and the range of motion that you're going to have available at your feet and your shoulders. So if you just show me a rib cage and, show, and, and I'll do a couple of tests on how you breathe and where you can expand and can't expand into the rib cage, I'll, I'll have a fairly good idea how you, of how you move. I'll be able to have a very, very, very good guess. So that, that, that central structure with 136 joints is going to have a huge impact on every other joint in my body. So I think instead of us promoting a stiffening at the rib cage, we need to promote fluid movement in, around there. Uh, so the, the number one thing that's going to do that is the breath. So, and then just to take it a little bit, I know I'm probably going on a little bit here, but just to take it from, from the more if, if as soon as my ribs elevate, then that's more of a fight or flight state. So I'm a little bit more stressed. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit down as well. I'm not going to have as much energy. Well, I, w I am going to have energy for a short burst, but then I'm going to run out very quickly. I'm not going to sleep as well. I'm not going to move as well. Everything is going to tense up. My heart rate is going to change all of these things. So the, the positions that we're promoting in the gym are pushing people a little bit more towards fight or flight which is fine if you're going to do a one RM deadlift, but we want to make sure that you can get out of those positions as well. So being able to get out of those positions, that's the variability that we need. So that's why the breathing is so important from a biomechanics point of view, but also a, a nervous system getting back into that rest and digest state, which hopefully we're spending 23 hours of the day in rather than, rather than all of our time in fight or flight which to be honest most people are spending more time in that they just don't they don't realize it it just becomes the the norm for them and i know a lot of people that haven't done it before will be like i'm breathing i'll do that all the time but this is this is yeah. when you do it properly and it's focused it, there's so much to it isn't there it does take that practice to get it right and i remember quite a few years ago listening to buddy morris speak and he spoke about his um athletes and at the end of every practice you get them all lying down with the feet against the wall just focusing on the breath to get that uh, parasympathetic nervous system going mm -hmm. so is that would that be something you encourage um is that enough if we did that with our players like if we did a few minutes at the end of a, a gym session or something and just focused on it would that be enough or would there be something else that you'd recommend for coaches and players uh it's definitely a good place to start uh, definitely. So for all any athlete that I work with, they, every single one of them will always have a breathing element to their, to their day and to their, maybe their training session as well. Um, and a good place to, to finish the training session would be in a position like that, lying on your back, feet against the wall. Uh, that's going to just tilt the pelvis back into a more neutral position. And then as we exhale, we're going to make sure we get rid of all the air. But 
this kind of requires coaching and that's not me trying to sell myself in any way um but our our but because there's loads of people out there that do an amazing job with this and um i'm pretty busy as it is but the exhale needs to it, it it's not about blowing out the air you need to feel the ribs actually move so the rib cage needs to drop and internally rotate and if you pay attention that's going to do really nice things to your pelvis and and relax your erectors in your lower back and relax your quads and all that type of thing so yeah so so that is a really nice place but um just coaching because people can't do it well in the beginning they really really can't they'll use their neck uh they'll use a lot of maybe their six pack abs and maybe not deeper deeper core muscles there'll be all kinds of different things and ways that people can look like they're doing it but they're not really doing it well but regardless of that regardless of doing it well or not just getting athletes to lie down or sit down and just focus on the breath is going to, is going to yield some really good results i think um and then just depending on on the individual you probably need to have you probably need to have different positions that that work well for their body and different focuses where okay i'm trying to get my left my left internal oblique to kick in with my left hamstring to kick in so that it pulls your pelvis back into a more neutral position on that side and suddenly your hip impingement that you thought was a hip impingement is actually just gone it was just more to do with a pelvic position you yeah. know so it, it it can get quite detailed but it doesn't have to it, just do, if you're doing it as part of a group just getting people breathing is, is going to be huge yeah and i and i would i know you said that you're busy there but i'd encourage people to go and get the program because like you said it, it's not an expensive program but it teaches you so much about this and i think coaches in particular if you go and do it and you go and practice this sort of stuff you'll be able to relate the the work that david's done and put into this program into some work that you do with your players as well so i would encourage people to get it david where where do they have to go to get it is it best just to go onto your social media your instagram yeah you can go onto my instagram it's david gray rehab g r e y but um honestly like i i i probably spoken too much about the program there i don't want to make it into a sales pitch at all but um like you can just go on my instagram and look at the free stuff that i talk about and and that's and if you're not interested you're not interested you know so but um i i never wanted to sound like a sales pitch or anything like that um and yeah just just you can go you can go you can go on there check out some of the stuff there's loads of free thing free things that you can have a look at i think but um that'll bring you just to the website and you can check it out but um yeah there's 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 so much good stuff out there there's so much good stuff like so many people talking about all this stuff in different areas um but sometimes i guess for people the, the podcasts are good because it just maybe opens someone's someone's ears or eyes to something that they maybe haven't thought about before and yeah. I I I honestly don't care if it's coming if they come to like me to learn more about it or to someone else it's it's about just being open to different concepts and and not just saying because I haven't heard of it before or that doesn't make sense to me right now that that's a load of crap it's not necessarily a load of crap there's there's a world of stuff out there that you can learn and you don't have to take everything from everyone as gospel you can just take bits and pieces and and find what fits best for you and that's that's all i've done to be honest and like i'm always going to try and do that and and try and be better and discard things that don't work so there's a, there's there's so much good stuff out there so many smart people out there um and the traditional stuff is not like we need to bin that it's just that we need to hopefully have all that stuff as part of a 
one big package that we can pick the right thing for the right person, you know? Yeah. And with that in mind, I didn't give you the heads up on this, but we've got a few little quick fire questions to finish with. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> These are easy. These are easy. So the, the first one, well, say easy. You might struggle yeah. to nail it down on this one. But the first one, what I wanted to um, ask you, and you might have referenced um, these people already, but who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Uh, so Gary, Gary War is a big, has been a big influence. Um, Dave O'Sullivan, who I mentioned already. Um, I think he's probably one of the best physios in the world, to be honest. He's, he's, he's a really smart guy. Um, and he works in he works in high level professional sport. Like he's worked with England Rugby League and England Rugby Union. So and he does a lot of the breathing work with his rugby players, big strong rugby players. He focuses on a lot of the breathing work. So it's it, this stuff is being done around the world. Um, people maybe are just not getting exposed to it, you know. Um, but I, I should say on that, don't don't just think it's amazing also because someone who you respect does it, they, they might be wrong also. So, yeah, yeah. so um, you know, so there, there is a bit of that going on as well in the world where that coach does it, so that must be right. That's not necessarily the case, so you need to think for yourself. Um, Franz Bosch, I'm a big fan of Franz Bosch. Um, people, people don't really love Franz um, because he maybe trashes some of the traditional stuff that people love, but, um, and he's probably wrong on that too, that like, everything everything has its place everything works but maybe it's just his his personality or his demeanor where he, where he gets their messages across but his work if you just take his work for his work it's it's really really good mm. um posture restoration institute they're an institute in america that do a lot of the breathing stuff they're definitely worth checking out um again i they, i think they're probably the the biggest ones i have like people in chinese martial arts and internal martial arts that um just different sources around the world um, that are maybe not as accessible as others, but um, yeah, and then just traditional strength and conditioning, like any any Yuri Verkachansky or people like that, any Soviet text or anything like that that most people are probably familiar with. So there's been loads, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's lots of good people out there. And then the next one, what do you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Oh. Good question. Um, trying to trying to maybe weed out the crap. So I'm not the, like definitely not the smartest person by any means, but like being able to being able to hopefully keep an open mind and being able to see where there's value and where there's not, and and being open to to trying stuff, but then being able to fail probably quicker than other people. That's the that's probably the biggest thing. It's it's. I don't stick to a plan just because it's the plan or I don't stick to a, like I went to a course and I spent two grand on the course. So I'm going to just do this for the next two years. And no matter what, I'll, 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 I'll take the five or 10% of the good stuff and, and just bin the rest. So that's probably, that's probably my, my, my strength. If you want to call it that, that's, that can be a weakness too, but uh, uh, yeah, just failing, failing quicker is probably, is probably it. No, I think that that's been a key one that's come up on the podcast quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's a strength. Um, and then the next one is what's the best bit of CPD um, that you've done recently? So whether it be like a webinar, whether it's just a, a podcast episode you've listened to or something like that. Um, I did um, I did a webinar, uh, Jordan Mendeguccia, you know him? He's a, he's a Spanish strength and conditioning coach, but he's a PhD I think he's a strength and conditioning coach, but he is, he, he's, uh, he works in rehabilitation. So he has a, a, 
he has a hamstring webinar, uh, hamstring rehab webinar. So he's, yeah, I think it was on a, on a place called Sports Map. Do you know those guys? They're an Australian company. They do podcasts and they, they run, um, they run, I think it's more rehab based, but uh, they run like webinars and stuff like that. So they had a, they had a, he, he must've done a workshop maybe last year um, in his, in his place in Spain. He works with like top, top level uh, soccer players. But um, yeah, so that, that, that was quite good. Um, a lot of the stuff I, I knew, but it was nice to see his take on some of the things and nice to see him talking a lot about the pelvis position when we're doing these hamstring exercises that we know, you know, so like people will do their Nordic curls, but they're, it, it's almost becoming a, an erector, a, ba a back extension, you know, or a kipping, a kipping Nordic curl is what I'm seeing these days. So it's just, he really hammered home. Like there's no, there's none of that allowed. You have to make sure the pelvis is staying in, in, in the right position and if the pelvis if the pelvis is going into that anterior tilt at all again not that that's bad but like that's just demonstrating a lack of control so if we're trying to be strong then yeah i can i can i can have a strong hamstring but if i can't keep my pelvis in a good position then that's not that's really not doing what we think it's doing so i would yeah. say that that webinar was probably the did that a few weeks ago and it was quite good awesome and then the final ones david this is the same question but for two different um people so the first one with, with a lot of like young coaches in mind or practitioners what would you say is the most in your opinion the most important trait as a coach or a practitioner um empathy is probably by far just having 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 a bit of empathy for the the people that you're working with and um so you'll see the industry is, is kind of going towards like the coach himself or like me or you, we're the superstar and you're using your, your client to try and, to try and get you to the exposure or whatever. That's like, at the end of the day, if, an at, if, if a team or an athlete is going to win, probably not much because of you or me. Um, it's because of them and the team or whatever, whatever sport they're in and they're the ones lifting the cup or, they, you know, like they're the ones that have the big pressure on their shoulders. And... So, so empathy, I think, is important, like understanding that, yes, you might need to push them hard and all this stuff, but they have a whole world going on around them. And you're, you're a piece of their day, a very important piece of their day. But if the rest of their day is not going very well, then you can, you can try all the strength stuff. You can try all the push them as hard as you want. Then it's not going to create a positive, positive adaptation, I don't think. So understanding where people are, are in their lives and trying to work with them on that and, and talking to them, communicating with them. That's, that's the biggest thing that I've probably learned over the last couple of years. And that, that, that's not, um, like that comes from working with a lot of really good athletes who maybe it's because I'm outside the club or something like that when they come to me privately that they, they feel like they can chat to me a little bit more because someone inside the club might judge them or they might go and tell someone but like there's a lot of big athletes that are are not very happy with their lives or their or, you know their careers or there's shit going on at home and there's injuries and stuff as well and a lot of mental stuff that can that can come with that so just because someone's putting on a, a smiling face and they're they're working hard does not necessarily mean that everything is is hunky-dory for them so um communication and empathy are probably the two big things 
Yeah, that's a great point. And then the same question, so most important trait, but for a player or a, a client, if people are working one-on-one -on -one with people? Uh, if it's a player, it's, if it's a player, it's going to be their sport. Like just, just, I know Kier, we were talking about Kier, rugby strength coach. He talks about like just being a PhD in their sport. So like those guys are the best, like the guys who are interested in skill development, like how do I get better and, and knowing the sport inside out. So, so the technical, the tactical aspects of it, I know that's not necessarily one trait, but it's like, those are the people that you love to work with. They're, they're, you know, like they're, they're, they're working with you and they're talking about the a squat and all this stuff, but it's about how is this going to help me for my sport? How is this going to improve me? And, and they're interested in that. They don't care. They don't care that this is a three sets of 10 or a, three sets of four sets of six or whatever because it's strength and conditioning they care about wh why would I do that set and rep that's going to help me at my sport and um that's the there those are the people that are a joy to work with and those are usually the most successful people awesome mate wow loads in this one David absolutely loads um, we've mentioned it a few times, but if people have got questions, they want to check out your work, they want to just keep up to date with what you've got going on, where, where would you direct them to, mate? Uh, probably just David Gray Rehab on Instagram. That's probably the best place people can message me there as well if they, if they, um, if they want or if they want to tell me I'm talking crap, they can, they can do that as well. Um, but yeah, hopefully I, didn't, uh, hopefully I didn't ramble on too much. There's probably a few long ones there, but um, yeah, thanks very much for having me on, Ben. I really enjoyed that. No, honestly, this has been a, a pleasure, mate. It's been great to finally catch up with you. And, um, yeah, just keep up the great work. I honestly think you're putting out some amazing content, so just keep it up. You too, brother. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. Take care. Huge thank you for listening to this episode and big thank you to David for giving up his time as well. Um, go and give him a follow on Instagram at David Gray Rehab, and Gray is spelled G-R-E-Y. Um, I can um, not recommend his program highly enough as well. So I'm doing the lower body basics program at the moment and we discussed it a little bit in the episode. And I know David was keen for it not to be a sales pitch, but I, I honestly, um, the program that I'm doing, I'm running it alongside some other stuff as well. But um, yeah, I highly recommend it. So you can go and check it out. He's got a link on his Instagram. Um, go and give it a go because there's definitely some humbling exercises in there, things that do look pretty easy. But like David said, it's things that, in his opinion, we should be able to do, um, and it does sort of correct a lot of, of issues that a lot of people have, so go and, go and check it out. Some takeaways on this one, again, there was plenty on the episode. I think when he, we talked about the online training and the fact that David is, feels like he's got better at verbal cueing, and I think any coach that has took any sort of online training will probably agree with that. We've not been able to demo, we've not been able to sort of physically move athletes or, or clients around. So um, we've had to get good with our language and the way we describe exercises. Um, and, and by that, getting creative with the cueing as well. So I think David um, used the example of where he wanted someone to like round their upper back and he was talking about poking them in the chest. Um, and that was like his way of, of cueing. And I think there's plenty to take from that and to take into real life coaching as well. 
I love his approach to like pronation and supination. We talked about that, but also just movement in general. I think we fall into the trap of thinking some movements are bad and um, that we shouldn't be going into certain movement patterns. But a lot of it comes back to the fact that we should be able to control a lot of the movements that we do. And, and pronation, supination is definitely one that David touched on. I've heard him speak about that before as well. And then also the, the, the other topic I wanted him to talk about was his views on triple extension, which I heard him talk about on the Just Fly podcast, where he talked about an incomplete triple extension um, and he describes it really well in the episode, which I'm sure you, you paid attention to. But for me, it just questions the fact that do we spend too much time on triple extension? Obviously, it has a, it has a good crossover to acceleration. Um, or are there other exercises that we could tweak a little bit um, that make it a little bit more relevant to what we would be doing on the pitch? So I don't think there's necessarily an answer to that straight away, but it's definitely a good um, thing to sort of think about and think about how we could get it into our into our practice. So I really enjoyed this episode with David. I knew I would because, I, like I say, I love the content he puts out. Um, and a big thank you again for him um, for coming on the episode. And a huge thank you again for you guys for listening. Again, I mentioned at the start, I know the sound quality on this one might not be the best. I'm between laptops at the moment. Um, so we will be getting back to usual very soon. And um, yeah, big thank you for listening. Please do what you always do and share the episode with many people. Let's try and get it out to as many people as possible. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 108.